This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Let me ask you a question as we begin our thoughts for this morning. How good are you at figuring other people out? Most folks I know have a lot of satisfaction when they can size up another person and figure out what makes that person tick. Even those who have never studied psychology in a formal way often become quite skilled in being able to understand what motivates others to do and to be what they are. Have you ever noticed, for example, that Some people who seem to be dull and unresponsive on the surface can later turn out to be very interesting. There are some people who seem to have the personality of a doorknob at first, but then when you get to know them better, they're not so bad after all. The same truth applies to the person who uses these ideas. Some ideas seem to be uninteresting, dull, flat at first. But when you think about these ideas, they can come to life. Now, let me combine these two observations. First, most people enjoy trying to figure out others, understand why they think as they do, and seemingly dry ideas can come to life. Okay, each Sunday when we come here to worship, there are many thoughts that go through my mind as a pastor. Among these thoughts are, What are those people out there in the congregation thinking about right now? What do they think when they read the sermon title, which is listed in the bulletin for today? If you've looked at the title for the sermon this morning, The Holiness of God, you may be thinking, what could be less interesting than that? You probably would not decide to attend church based simply on that sermon title, would you? But even though the idea of the holiness of God seems to have about as much life and spark as a noodle which has been soaked in water overnight, you may find that this can be as fresh as the morning sunrise. So let's start with the word holy. It has been said that every word has a romance behind it. This is certainly true about the word holy. When it was first used, the idea carried only that of separateness. My right hand is separate, is different from my left hand. Thus, my right hand could be called holy in regards to my left hand. It's separate, it's different. The Bible is a book which is called Holy, Holy Bible, because it is a book which is different, separate from all other books ever printed. But As time went on, the meaning of the word holy was expanded to mean not only separate, but also to relate to the cause for the separateness. Why is God different from people? Why is he holy or separate? Man's first thought was that of power. We looked at God and saw around him the lightning and the power that he had. And so people said that God was a God of power, and that made him holy. And after many years, there came along the prophets, people like Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, others, who understood that God is holy 
not primarily because of his power, but because of his character, his moral purity. The Bible has a whole lot to say about God's holiness. The 99th Psalm says that because our Lord God is holy, we should exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. In Exodus 15, verse 11, we read, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? In the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. Maybe the best known passage in all scriptures about the holiness of God is that from Isaiah chapter 6, which incidentally is the scriptural basis of the hymn that we sang earlier, Holy, Holy, Holy. Isaiah describes God on the throne with the heavenly attendants, the seraphim, and all around. And the scripture says, And they cried one unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's verse 3 of Isaiah 6. Okay, you say, so God is holy. Now, what does this mean for me? What's so thrilling about that? How does that help me get through this next week ahead? Let me, consider, let me offer several ideas. First, the holiness of God sets a standard for our conduct. Life itself is based on certain standards. We talk sometimes about a standard of living. What does that mean? Well, a person's living standard is high or low as it is compared with others around. A person may live in the United States on what we would consider sub-poverty level, but compared with some people in other countries, that same person would be considered to have a very high standard of living. Economically, our standard of living is determined by material things. But morally, our standard of living is determined by the quality of God's character, His holiness. In years past, some people tried to pretend that there's no connection between God's holiness and their own character or standard of living. In early Old Testament days, a person thought he could, quote, believe in God, and still go on his merry way of being a regular scoundrel. Then came along a man like Amos, who said that a morally holy God demands moral holiness in his people. The people thought they could go right on sinning and still be right with God as long as they offered their sacrifices. But Amos did not bite his tongue at all when he spoke for God and said, well, let me just read it from Amos 2, verses 6 and 7, and then another one from Amos 5. Here's, here's the word. The Lord says, The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not forget it. I will not leave them unpunished anymore, for they have perverted justice by accepting bribes and sold into slavery the poor who cannot repay their debts. They trade them for a pair of shoes. They trample the poor in the dust and kick aside the meek. That's Amos 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, let's look down to Amos chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. Here's what Amos said of God. 
I hate your show and pretense, your hypocrisy of honoring me with your religious feasts and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and thank offerings. I will not look at your offerings of peace. Away with your hymns of praise. They're mere noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music no matter how lovely it is. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a torrent of doing good. Wow, those are strong words that Amos spoke for God. And long before the days of Amos, God had spoken to these people through Moses. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, he said, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Earlier in Leviticus 11.45, God says, Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. There's just something in God's holiness which says to us, Do this, don't do that. The dividing line is the line that divides right from wrong. The character and holiness of God sets the standard for our conduct. It places some requirements on us in our daily living. Reading the Bible, church attendance, working in the church, host of other things that we do can never serve as an effective whitewash for wrongdoing. You see, the question is not, can I get away with it? Or is it legal? The real question is, is it right? Maybe legal to do a lot of things, but this doesn't make them right. We in America have legalized a lot of things that have no moral basis of rightness whatsoever. For example, it may be legal to drink all the liquor you want to drink, but is it really right? Not only for yourself, but for family, for others. It may be legal in some places to get a divorce on some just flimsy excuse. It doesn't, it doesn't matter a bit, but is that really right? Prostitution may be legal in some places, but does that make it right? You as a leader in business may be able to do something which is entirely legal, but you well know that it's really not right. You see, this question of the holiness of God is really contemporary. It says you cannot honor the cross on Sunday and practice the double cross on Monday. That's what John Redhead said. The holiness of God says you don't necessarily have a right to stand with a clear conscience in the presence of God just because you may go to church regularly or teach a class or sing in the choir or preach. The holiness of God says with the psalmist that only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart can stand before God with a clear conscience. So what I'm saying, first of all, is that the holiness of God sets a standard for our conduct. What else does the holiness of God say to us? I think it says this in the second place. The holiness of God makes him forever the enemy of sin. God's basic character, his holiness, is that of moral goodness. Sin is just the opposite of this. And so there's no possible union of the two. God is forever the enemy of sin. Now, what does that say to you and me right here today? 
It simply says that we cannot sin and get away with it. The one who sets out to do something wrong is whipped before he starts. Holy God, who demands holiness in his people, has so made this world that it pays to be good and it hurts to do wrong. Oh, it doesn't always hurt immediately, but anyone who thinks he can outwit God is just plain stupid. Now, God plays fair with us. He doesn't pull any surprises on us. He makes very plain in the scripture that he has created the universe in such a way that we cannot continue in sin and eventually get away with it. Let me give you some verses from scripture. Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, but unto them that are contentious, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Deuteronomy 28, Moses describes the plight of the disobedient. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. Thou shalt fear day and night. Thou shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were evening. And in the evening thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. That's verses 66 and 67 of Deuteronomy 28. Yes, God is holy, he is righteous, and he is the enemy of sin, and sin is going to lose. A man was brought into court one day and he was charged with running a gambling device known as a slot machine. The man chose to defend himself. When the prosecutor had presented his case, the, defi the defendant's turn came. So the man stood before the judge and he said, Judge, I am charged with conducting a gambling device. May I tell you what gambling is? Uh, rather, he said, may I ask you, judge, to tell me what gambling is? The judge said, gambling is risking something of value on an event, the outcome of which is uncertain. The dependents said, well, judge, according to your definition there, I am not guilty. When a person puts a coin in my slot machine, the outcome of that event is not in the least uncertain. The inside mechanism is so adjusted that he cannot win. The thing is set against him. He is bound to lose. The man won his case. Now, if I had to stop right here, it'd be sad indeed. Not very encouraging to hear that we're all sinners and the sinner is bound to lose. Here is where the gospel comes in, the good news. And this is the third idea I want to leave with you. The holiness of God guarantees that we can trust him and not be disappointed. I've just spoken about God's inflexible certainty in his judgment of sin. That same truth applies in other matters as his trustworthiness. God keeps his word about punishing sin, but he also keeps any other word he gives. The holiness of God is our guarantee that we can depend on him. Have you ever been disappointed in somebody else? You thought you could depend on that person, but you were let down. Oh, that's happened to most of us, hasn't it? You have some work you need done, and so you talk with the person who agrees to do it. 
I'll be there at a certain time, you're told. That promised time comes and goes and you still haven't seen that person. Or you build a relationship with another person and you grow to the place where you feel so comfortable with that person, you can begin to open up and share some of your inmost thoughts and feelings. But then as time goes by, you get the distinct feeling that the sacredness of your trust in that person was not well founded. You have been disappointed. The longer you live, you have so many experiences with people who cannot be depended on until you, you begin to wonder if there's any such thing as dependability. Yes, there is. If you have failed to find it in other people, you can always find it in God. When God says he will do something, he will do it. When God says that he can take your sin-filled life and erase all those guilty stains, he means exactly that. When God promises he'll give you the strength to do some difficult task, he won't fail you if you'll only allow him to use his power in you. If God tells you that his grace is sufficient for you to get through a difficult time in your life, you can count on God to do exactly what he promises. You've heard the name David Livingston. Once when he, his life was in great danger from some savages in Africa, he grew quite frightened, but his fear lasted only for a moment. He reached into his pocket and took out his New Testament where he read, Lo, I am with you always. Closing the Bible, David Livingston put it back in his pocket and said to himself, those are the words of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. God has never gone back on his word. When he promises something, it is the word of a gentleman of the highest, most sacred honor. It is because of God's nature, his holiness, that we can always count on him to be true to his word. All right. What does the holiness of God say to you today? Is it just some dull theological doctrine? Or does this speak to you personally? Today, if we will let God's spirit break through and speak to us personally, we can probably hear him saying something like this. You have a standard to follow. That standard is high. God doesn't tolerate sin. But God loves the sinner. And he takes delight in reaching down and lifting the sinner up. He wants us to trust him. And when we come to that point in our lives, when we do feel we can trust God because of his holiness, then we can say without any fear, without any reservation, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. I'm the potter, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting, yielded and still. Lord, we pray that this may be our prayer today, that we know that you're the one who created us, you're the potter, we're the clay. 
and you love us and you want to mold and make us into something special. Thank you, God, for the fact that you're a giving God and a forgiving God and for giving us life and also for forgiving us for our sins. May that be a real source of encouragement and comfort to us today to know that we have a holy God who loves us. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.